Welcome to the Central Community Church Podcast. We exist to be authentic followers of Jesus, leading others to follow Him by loving God, loving people, and serving our world. Oh man, it's probably almost a decade ago now, I went on a, a short-term missions trip to China. Uh, the church I was a part of then had some missionaries there, so we went to spend some time with them and explore the ministry they were doing and encourage them and, um, and be a part of some ministry for a few weeks. It took us to Macau and Hong Kong, but also to this um, city up north. Uh, of a million people that you've never heard of. That's the way it works in China. There's just cities of a million and 10 million and 8 million that you've never heard of all over the place. So we went to this city up north in China that was a city of a million people. Lived 90% of the people lived in poverty, like real poverty. Um, there were two paved roads, city of a million, two paved roads that intersected. And... Um, and yet we spent some time with uh, really what was an underground church, a church that was not approved by the government because they weren't willing to let the government shave off parts of the Bible and the gospel. And so when you're not willing to shave off parts of the Bible and the gospel, you're considered an illegal church. And, and this was one of them. And yet it was 25,000 people. Um, and um, the leaders of this church uh, took us out for a meal. They, they, they really, um, they gave us their best. We went to a restaurant where the table was this huge round table. And then there was a smaller round sort of lazy Susan going on in the middle. You could spin the food and it was just filled. Like the, the plates were stacking on each other. And, um, and I... Um, I love food from, from different nations, but, but there were some things in this setting that I had never observed before and that made me feel a little uncomfortable, but they were being so generous. And so we just ate and we ate and it was really fun and there was some really great food and it was a neat experience. Um, the next morning, three of us were very sick. Um, <laughs> And unfortunately, um, we could not attend with the rest of the team the Sunday morning church service, which was so much of what uh, we wanted to see and experience, this church gathering where communist officials would come and uh, in the middle of it and just try and um, scare them and sometimes drag some people off and those kinds of things happen. It was just kind of something you wanted to see how they worshipped under those circumstances. But three of us had to stay back due to illness. Um, and the rest of the team, again, was taken out for lunch after the service. Uh, our missionary, who could speak Cantonese and Mandarin, saw the kind of restaurant that they were being taken to, but he decided it probably wasn't helpful to tell the team at this point because they should really eat everything they're given and be good missionaries, right? And so when they got back, the missionary came and told the three of us who were sick what had happened. The rest of the team didn't know yet. And he's like, you want to know what they had for lunch? They had dog broth soup. And uh, we began to, with so much joy, tell the rest of the team what they had eaten and watch their faces. Um, but the real reason I tell you that, that story is not because of dog broth soup, which surprisingly they all enjoyed until they knew what it was. But what it was, was there's a church in a city of 90% poverty, that have nothing, that are illegal, that are 25,000 people strong. And you know what this church had that had no money? 
They had their own orphanage to care for children who had no homes. They had their own seniors care home for seniors who had no one to take care of them. They had their own Bible school because you couldn't send them to any Bible school um, in other parts of China that were legal. They needed to send them where they could truly be taught. And so here they are in the circumstance where they've got their own orphanage, their own seniors care home. They've got their own Bible school and, um, care for people in the local hospital wasn't happening very well in that area. So they were trying at that time to open their own hospital. And you just saw these people with next to nothing living out their faith in a way that puts us to shame. And we've got resources everywhere. How does that happen? What does that If you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Isaiah chapter 58. We're going to look at the 14 verses, but to start, I'll just read the first five. Look at the first, first five verses of Isaiah chapter 58. They're also going to be on the screen, They're right about in the middle of your Bible. Isaiah is a prophet, and here's what he says. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. And then the people say, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. In such... Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? I want us to look for a moment at what we see in this text as problematic worship. I'll tell you the three aspects that I see in the passage for the sake of time. I'm on like a 20-minute devotional section here this morning, which is quite different for me. So let me just, I'm just going to give you a lot of stuff, and we're going to keep moving, all right? Here's the three ways that I see problematic worship in the text. First, it's selfishly motivated. Secondly, it has no concern for others. And thirdly, it does not bring glory to God. Why doesn't it bring glory to God? Well, it's selfishly motivated and has no concern for others. Look at verse 3 again. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? This is what the people are saying. Look, we, we've been self-sacrificing here, they say, in the sense that we've been fasting. This is costly for us. We'd rather eat, but we're not. But then the text tells us, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Okay. But look at the motivation of your fast. Yet you're doing this task, yes, but, but look... It's for your own pleasure. You have outcomes that you're trying to, to get out of this. It's not God glorification. It's not serving others. The, the, the point seems to be that it's selfishly 
motivated. Now, this fast that they would do is a routine, and it would be the abstaining from eating food as an act of worship of God. And it was often for the purpose of humble, dependent prayer, right? As you have hunger pains, you're reminded, oh, yeah, I want to spend time with the Lord and pray to him. See, their fasts were self-righteous and self-absorbed rather than humbly for the glory of God and for the good of others. So if these people are fasting in real humility that brings them closer to God, then this should naturally impact their relationship with others. The prophet is not saying that God rejects all acts of fasting. Instead, he's rejecting the fast that has no impact on a person's relationship to God. And to others, he's not rejecting fasting. And I, I'm, I'm using worship more broadly of fasting as one aspect of our worship. He's not rejecting the kind of worship that, that is doing these kinds of things, but the kind of worship that re, re, has no impact on a person's relationship to God and others as the overflow and the outcome and the, the purpose. See, the people showed outward signs of wanting to do God's will. They were even willing to endure the minor inconvenience of fasting. Much like setting aside an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, even a sunny Sunday morning. Man, I'm good, right? I could be sleeping in right now. I could be on a nice hike in this beautiful weather. I could be binge watching a Netflix series right now, but I'm not. I'm at church. I'm giving this time. But the time and being at church is, is half the battle. It's a good thing. But, but, but we want to take a look. I think Isaiah, in Isaiah 58 wants us to take a look underneath. What are, what are the motivations? What are, what are the desires? What is being accomplished through the gathering? And, of course, I'm not just talking about the gathering. I'm talking about our worship at large, our individual worship during the week and all of it. See, it's not that there isn't real time invested in it. It's that the heart isn't invested in it. That's what the prophet is saying. And you know what? Our hearts have the same propensities. I'll walk away on a Sunday afternoon, sometimes to my shame, be driving home and reflecting on the service and be like, I don't know if I truly worshipped God today. Because there was like... The mix of the band didn't sound perfect, and I was thinking about that. <laughs> or I stared at the stains on our beige carpet, and it annoyed me. And so I didn't worship today, right? Or I'm just so self-absorbed that, yeah, like the song was beautiful, and I was loving it, but it had nothing to do with God. And they say, oh, Lord, I am so this way. That's me. I can do that. I can mail it in. And if we're not careful, those of us who have been in church for a long time, we maybe mailed it in a long time ago. We go and we think we're accomplishing something by going, but God says, you know what kind of fast, you know what kind of worship I'm after? The one where the motivations and the affections are centered on Jesus. And as we participate in it as we go from corporate worship, as we go from individual worship. It has an effect on the relationships we have, the people we interact with, the needs we see, and how we respond. Jesus quoted Isaiah 29 in Matthew 15 where he said, This people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and therefore in vain do they worship. What was missing? 
Right? It's this posture and affections of the hearts that were off. They were focused on self and not on God or others. They were ignoring the two greatest commandments of loving God and loving others. How does a life of worship look? By responding to those great commandments of loving God and loving others. But see, when we're selfishly motivated in our worship, when we want to get something from God or we want to feel good, we're looking for an experience that pleases ourselves in our worship of God, when those kinds of things are our motivations, love for God and others falls by the wayside. Love for God and love for others is full, Romans 12, spiritual worship. Eyes fixed on God and the needs of those around us. And that's precisely what's missing in problematic worship. Let's keep reading, though, in verses 6 to 14, because it starts to get really encouraging, and God gives us a clear picture of what he's after. So look, in verse 6, he says, Is, it not, is not this the fast I choose? And he's going to tell us what that is. To loose the bonds of wickedness. Listen to the kind of worship he's after. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is that not the worship that I choose? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? Is that not the worship I'm after? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. This is the God saying, this is the kind of worship I'm after. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters Do not fail, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, If you honor it, not going your own way or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then shall you take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Pure worship. What do you hear in that? Well, has no regard for self. Let's flip it from the problematic worship. Has no regard for itself. Do you hear it? Here's the worship I'm after. Seek justice. Right? Clothe the naked. Feed the hungry. Bring the poor into your house. Right? Correct oppression. Break yokes of bondage and slavery, spiritual or otherwise. That is the kind of overflow of worship. It has no regard for self. It overflows with concern for the welfare of others. And ultimately, because of those things are going on because of delight in God. See, it has no regard for self. Greg Laurie put it this way. The idea for the Christian is not to focus on our heart, but rather focus our heart on God. 
The idea for the Christian is not to focus on our heart, but rather focus our heart on God. It has no regard for self, our worship. And as we do that, as we have no regard for ourselves, but fix our hearts on God's heart, we will be given the heart of God, a heart for mission, a heart for the hurting, and a heart for the oppressed. I want to throw a picture on the screen of a few pastors uh, had the privilege of meeting. So uh, uh, a few weeks ago, Emily and I went to uh, Columbia with Compassion on an exposure trip. And um, there's three different pastors you see there. I'm, I'm pictured with one. I'm about to tell a bit of his story. Um, I went to Columbia really believing in the work of Compassion. I know that they work with local churches. So we as a church can sponsor children that are sponsored through a program in local churches around the world in poverty-stricken areas. We get to sponsor children within a local church's ministry, meaning the pastors and the staff there actually minister to the neighborhood and they actually meet the needs of the children there via our sponsorship. So I, I, I went believing in that model. God wants to use the church. Jesus is building his church in the world, and it's the church's job to, to right wrongs, oppressions, injustices. And so it's a beautiful thing. But I went with the question of saying, okay, yeah, but what are these churches really like? Like, are they legit? Do, do they actually love their neighborhoods? Do they actually preach the gospel? Do they actually proclaim the scriptures and preach? And what, like, what do they actually look like? And as we got there, the bottom left is the first church we went to. This man preached the word, and I was blown away. And as he and his wife would walk down the street, you could just see the love people had for them and the love they had for people. The other couple on the bottom, we went to um, see their ministry, and these people worship like you wouldn't believe. Just such joy in the midst of a really poor community. And in the top, Pastor Milton Milton told us his story. He was a lawyer in the neighboring city and um, really felt the call of God to go and become a pastor and minister to children in a really dangerous area outside of the city. And uh, so he did. And he just felt like he was just supposed to go. And he went with nothing. He left his nice apartment. He left his great job. And he started living in a tent in a really dangerous area outside of the city. And I was like, you keep talking about dangerous. Like, like what does that mean exactly? Well, here, they're like, here, here's what. In Bogota, someone will rob you at gunpoint. Here in, in this really dangerous area, they'll shoot you and then they'll rob you. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. So he went and li- started living in a tent in this really dangerous area. In fact, it was the only church we went to where we got off the bus, went straight into the church compound, and they closed the gate behind us. We never walked down the street there. And yet this church uh, is phenomenal. This man began to, with nothing, not knowing who would give him water, not knowing who would give him food, but having the call of God on his life, began to minister to children, share the gospel with them, and do little children's ministry things with them on the street. A lawyer who left it, lived out of a tent, started ministering to poor children in this dangerous area because he, he knew that these kids needed a better future than that. Today, in that church that is thriving, 365 children are sponsored through Compassion. Though a lot of their siblings and families are connected to this church. When, when, compassion, when, 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 a, um, when compassion comes and partners with the church, it often grows by three to 400%. Because you don't just meet the needs of the child. 
the family's lives are changed and it becomes this local community. And so Pastor Milton just blew me away with his faith and with that kind of ministry. And I walked away having my question answered. Okay, what are these churches really like? Oh, okay, they, 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 they humble me. They humble me. See, pure worship not only has no regard for self, it overflows with concern for the welfare of others. See, the worship that God chooses is for the bonds of wickedness to be loosened, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. When we talk about a yoke, we're talking about every form of oppression. See, caring for the oppressed brings dramatic changes, and removing oppression brings transformation. Um, one of the leaders of Compassion, as we were on our trip, talked about changing the life of a child through sponsorship and said, their biggest problem isn't that they're hungry. Their biggest problem isn't that they lack education. Those things are hard and difficult, and that's their circumstance. But what's most crippling the, to them, do you want to know what it is? It's that when they're in such poverty like that, it's hopelessness. It's like, I live here, this is my slum, and I'm going to die here. And what kind of vibrancy to life can you have when that's your situation? And he said, and yet when compassion comes and sponsors that child, and there's a community that love them practically and point them to Jesus, you remove the hopelessness. There's hope because you can sponsor a child to the age of 22 that if they're able, they can go to university. If they're able, they can be trained for a like a job or a trade and you're, the hopelessness is lifted and they now have hope as well as relationship through community. It's staggering. This kind of work actually frees the oppressed and the poverty stricken and transforms them. Thirdly, lastly, pure worship delights in God. Look at verse 13. If you turn your back if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, if you, if you change the posture, if you bend your heart to mine and call the Sabbath a delight rather than a burden, or you do it for the sake of thinking you're going to receive something special from God by going through the act, if you redeem the Sabbath and, the holy day, and call the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delights. In the Lord. Delighting in God means to dwell on all that He is, the greatest treasure in the world, and worship Him. Right? Noticing that there are a lot of fleeting pleasures around us, and there are a lot of wonderful pleasures around us. They're either blessings from God, the greater delight, the greater treasure. Or they're just shadows of something far, far better. Either way, nothing compares to Jesus and truly delighting and worshiping him. The promises of God in this text towards those who selflessly worship God and serve others point towards the eschatological day, the day that's coming when God's glory will come to earth. He will transform nature, establish justice and righteousness between people and cause humanity to delight in God. This does not suggest that people today can create some sort of heaven on earth, some utopian place through proper social relationships, helping the poor and stopping oppression. Yet, if these are the ideals that delight God, then people who want to follow God's ways will attempt to implement within this fallen world as many of God's ideals as possible. 
Where there is injustice, church, we want to bring justice. Where there is oppression, we want to bring freedom. Where there is hunger, we want to feed. Where there is thirst, we want to provide drink physically and spiritually. Wherever God gives us the opportunity, we as his followers and as his worshipers say, Lord, help us to, to, to join you in what you are doing and what your heart is. As we worship, worship Jesus, the one who became poor, the one who was oppressed, so that we could be fed and clothed with the gospel and have a future, as we worship this Jesus, we will see those same needs in others and reach them with the love and power and grace of Christ. Central, let's be a church so fixated on Jesus, so in awe of the gospel that our worship be God-glorifying and lead to community renewal and human flourishing around us and wherever we have reach. I'm going to throw another photo up and... um, This was a mind-blowing experience. Emily and I had the opportunity to meet our compassion child. His name's Victor. He's in the yellow jersey. Team Columbia. Um, In front of his house. Inside his house, um, he's opening some gifts. Um, Very humble. Very humble home. Uh, We're blowing some bubbles in the church. And uh, having a meal together. And um, what was so neat is his mom was there with us, and um, and I asked the question, what dif- like what difference does sponsorship make like for your family? Like I don't quite understand. And her eyes just filled with tears. Right? We talk about the kind of hope that I was just speaking about, from hopelessness to hope, from a family in desperate need to a family lovingly drawn into the church and practically uh, met with their needs. Um, I'm really convicted that um, Compassion do this ministry well. We've done a lot of research, a lot of digging into child sponsorship programs. There's none like it. There's not a child sponsorship program in the world that has higher ratings on Charity Navigator and other places that actually monitor if nonprofits are being faithful. There's no better option on the planet for child sponsorship than compassion. We're convinced about that. The other thing is, is that we're a local church here in Chilliwack. And we have a really practical opportunity to respond. And as we sponsor children, it's not into some strange compound across the world. It's not into some place where kids walk two hours to get to some place for two hours a month or whatever the standards actually are with child sponsorship. No. Um, What Compassion do is they work together with a local church that is having an impact already in their poor community. And as we sponsor from our church, we're sponsoring children into a church across the world that's meeting the needs practically and spiritually of people. I can't commend it to you enough. And so I'm going to invite Dan up in a second, but before we do, let me pray, and then we're just going to show a quick video. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Um, Thank you for reminding us afresh of what we're doing here. Lord, it's not to mail in a song. It's not to check off singing, praying, fellowship, and hearing the sermon boxes at all. 
Lord, we want to worship you in spirit and in truth. We want a heart more like yours as we fix our affections on you. We want your heart. And therefore, Lord, we pray that the overflow of our worship would truly make a difference wherever we have reach. So really practically, Lord, we have reaching opportunity this morning. I pray that we'd grasp it. I pray that we would respond out of hearts of worship, not a guilt, but Lord, out of joyful worship that just makes sense from who you are and how we've come to know you. So we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.